The dangers presented by the insider movement today are immense to Christians. It is clear to me as a scholar that more and more contemporary Christians are being seduced by the idea that both Christians and Muslims can coexist in some type of an ecumenical existence based upon the common word document or upon the idea that Christians can live as Muslims and gradually come to convert Muslims to a belief in Jesus. Both of these ideas are extremely dangerous and need to be recognized as such by the, uh, by the Christian community. This does not mean that we need to demonize Muslims at all, but that we need to recognize that being a Christian is a choice between a number of different belief systems and that those belief systems, the most obvious and dominant one of which is Islam, are incompatible with Orthodox Christianity. While it is perfectly possible for Christians to live as minorities, and in some cases as uh, crypto-Christians for a period of time, maybe even for the duration of years, it is fundamentally dishonest and dishonoring to the gospel of Jesus Christ for the policy of his evangelists to be one of deliberate dishonesty in that they blur the lines between Christianity and Islam. The basis for the ecumenical dialogue between contemporary Christians and Muslims is the so-called common word document issued in 2007 at the behest of a wide range of international Muslim leaders as a result of what they perceived as the demonization of Muslims in Europe and the United States following multiple terrorist attacks and assaults upon Western cultural values such as the freedom of, of speech and the freedom of religion. Currently, it is easy to see that these attacks and assaults have bred a fund of opposition towards Islam on a political and cultural level that is manifested in the rise of anti-Muslim political parties and attitudes in Europe and elsewhere. However, the common word does not touch upon those issues precisely. Instead, it focuses upon the Christian religious leadership as it is understood by the Muslim world. In other words, the range of Christian formal leaders from the Roman Catholic, Orthodox, Anglican, and Protestant varieties of Christianity and appeals to them to join with Muslims based upon a common monotheism. The common word is deeply rooted in Islam and is based upon the Quranic verse 364, which says, quote, Say, O people of the book, come to an equitable word between you and us, that we worship none but Allah, or God, do not associate anything with him, and do not set each other up as lords besides Allah. If they turn their backs, say, bear witness that we are Muslims, or submitters to God, end quote. Couched as it is in the language of give and take and sweet reason, the, the verse is one of the most dangerous extant in the Quran. It posits three attitudes that should serve as the basis for dialogue that in reality serve to cause the non-Muslim side to enter into Islam completely. The idea that we all worship none but Allah or God is superficially seductive, but in reality the God described by the Quran as Allah while bearing the name of God has few characteristics in common with the God of the Bible. Secondly, the idea that we should not associate anything with God while placing the dialogue within the framework of monotheism again presupposes Muslim strictures upon that belief in one God that preclude acceptance of the Trinity which is a fundamental Christian belief. Again, from Quran 5.17, quote, unbelievers are those who say Allah is the Messiah, the son of Mary, unquote. And from 5.73, unbelievers too are those who have said Allah is the third of three, for there is no God except for the one God. And if they will not refrain from what they say, those who, of them who have disbelieved will be severely punished, end quote. 
There are many additional verses in the Quran that specifically oppose the doctrine of the Trinity and characterize these as polytheism. Lastly, the phrase, quote, set each other up as lords besides Allah, which sounds so odd to a non-Muslim, means the rule and dominion being exclusively to a Muslim political system, which would be ruled, hypothetically, by Allah. The Common Word document describes this, actually citing a Tabari, the medieval commentator, as saying that none of us should obey in disobedience to what God has commanded, nor glorify them by prostrating to them in the same way as they prostrate to God. In other words, the Common Word document elucidates Muslims, Christians, and Jews should be free each to follow what God has commanded them and not to have to prostrate before kings and the like, end quote. One should note that immediately following this apparently ecumenical statement, there is a curious caveat. Quote, as Muslims, we say to Christians that we are not against them and that Islam is not against them, so long as they do not wage war against Muslims on account of their religion and drive them out of their homes, end quote. Because Muslims allow for themselves the privilege to fight whenever they feel that their religion is being attacked or being, they are being driven out of their homes, a privilege not accorded to Christians inside the common word document, it is clear that ultimately what we have here is that Muslims can arrogate to themselves the definition of what constitutes justice and right throughout the world and enforce it with violence. So too, this in the Quranic verse with regard to setting each other up as lords, a phrase that is in fact the ba one of the bases for the political thought of radical Islam. The basic problems that a Christian has with masquerading as a Muslim are located within the text of the Quran. It bears recalling and re-emphasizing once again that the Quran cannot be dismissed as just another text. For Muslims, it is the very words of God. Although it is perfectly true that one of the weaknesses of contemporary Islam globally is that Muslims are profoundly ignorant of the Quran, and those who know it usually do not actually read it with understanding, but recite it by rote, it is impossible to get around the sense of authority that the, that the Quran conveys to Muslims or the fact that its message permeates every aspect of Islamic society consciously or unconsciously. It is a vast, vast mistake to underestimate the, uh, the power of the Quran within Islam, which essentially is what the insider movement is trying to do. Fundamentally, the issues with regard to the Quran can be grouped into three. One, the incompatibility of the Allah of the Quran with the God of the Bible. Two, the incompatibility of the person and function of Jesus inside the Quran and the Bible. And three, the rejection of the Bible as an authoritative and binding document in favor of the Quran. While, of course, there are other things that one can bring forth from the text of the Quran that are problematic for the Christian, such as the establishment of law as a basis for salvation as embodied in the Sharia, uh, the, theological opinion, uh, the theological issues are the most important. One needs to recognize that the Allah of the Quran is not the same as the God of the Bible. Although he is said to be, quote, merciful and compassionate, what comes across inside the Quranic text is his vengefulness, his capriciousness, and arbitrary judgments towards humanity and others, and most of all, his distance and unapproachability. Orders that are given to the angels and to others are without reason. The major example of which is, is one for the angels to bow down to the created Adam 
in Quran 2.74, which directly contradicts all, all Islamic teaching, including the common word cited above. More or less, the Allah of the Quran is an oriental despot. Who one, uh, who one needs to placate because of his temper tantrums, inexplicable rages, and commands that defy reason. One would have to, after reading the Quran, ask whether Allah is in fact a just God at all. Probably for any Christian, the issue of the person and role of Jesus that differs between the Bible and the Quran are the most obvious. It is at this point that the insider movement needs to think its position over very carefully, as was already detailed actually in the last lecture. Jesus is, is lauded very highly inside the Quran. He is said to be a word from him, from God, in Quran 345, uh, and given superlative titles, uh, such as al-Masih and others. However, his function is completely different and devoid of any salvific aspect whatsoever. The critical passages refer to the doctrine of the crucifixion, which is specifically rejected in the following terms, in Quran 4, uh, 157, which we've already dealt with. As for their Jews saying, we have killed the Messiah, Jesus, son of Mary, and the apostle of Allah, they neither killed nor crucified him, but it was made to appear so unto them. Indeed, those who differ about, about him are in doubt about it. Their knowledge does not go beyond conjecture, and they did not kill him for certain. End quote. How can this possibly be reconciled with 1 Corinthians 1.23, but we preach Christ crucified? Even if one were to grant the possibility that the crucifixion was not literal, which could only be accomplished by denying substantial sections of the New Testament and almost the entirety of Christian theology, what then is the significance of Jesus' ministry if he were not crucified? Essentially, then, he becomes, in the words of C.S. Lewis, another good man in the line of Socrates, Buddha, or Gandhi. It is impossible to believe in the Jesus of the Quran and the Jesus of the Bible at the same time their personalities are simply incompatible. And indeed, Jesus does position, uh, uh, the Quran does position Jesus to be just another figure in the line of prophets and messengers by stating in Quran 4, 171, quote, O people of the book, do not exceed the bounds of your religion, nor say about Allah except the truth. The Messiah, Jesus, son of Mary, is only Allah's apostle and his word, which he imparted to Mary and is a spirit from him. So believe in Allah and his apostles and do not say three gods, Refrain, it is better for you. Allah is only one God. How glory be to him, could he have a son? End quote. Although the terms that are given here for Jesus have a striking similarity to those who found in the Bible, for example, in John 1.1, the content of Jesus' ministry is specifically denuded of all significance in his relationship with God as a, as a God-man bridge between the divine and humanity is rejected. It is difficult to see that there's anything left. But in actuality, there is one function left for Jesus that in order to make him stand out from the other prophets, which is to proclaim the coming of Muhammad. As it says in Quran 61.6, quote, And when Jesus, son of Mary, said, O children of Israel, I am Allah's messenger to you, confirming what came before me of the Torah, and announcing to you the good news of a messenger who will come after me, whose name is Ahmad, Yani Muhammad, end quote. As such a proclamation cannot be found in the text of the New Testament as we know it, other than the Muslim claimed that the, uh, this enunciation is in fact that of the paraclete mentioned in John 14, uh, 16 uh, through 17 and 15, 26 through 27, Muslims must make the bizarre claim that both Jews and Christians conspire together in order to change their scriptures 
with the goal of deleting any references to Muhammad. This doctrine known as tahrif or tabdil, quite aside from its historical improbability, effectively reduces the Bible to nothing but a paste job stitched together by Jews and Christians, presumably during the few periods when the two groups were not murdering each other, because of course the one thing that, had, that unites them is the common hatred of Muhammad, who will come in the far distant future. Looking at this doctrine, it is easy to see the reasons why conspiracy theories have such a prevalence in the Muslim world today. If one can accept the doctrine of tahrif, then it is not so difficult to believe that the Jews control the world or other absurdities that one hears on a regular basis throughout the region. Fundamentally, the Bible promotes a different conception of humanity and its relationship with God than does the Quran. The Bible promotes a historical view of humanity where everyone, even the greatest prophets and apostles, was a sinner and has, to, has had to repent for some major fault. The Quran takes the opposite tack. Either uh, each prophet is carefully denuded of his humanity and made to be perfect vessels for the reception of the knowledge that comes from God. In general, the Quranic perception of humanity is that knowledge only comes from God and that people are unable to think for themselves. In each case, major figures such as Adam, who in the biblical account names the animals out of his own accord in Genesis 2.19, receives the names from God in the Quranic one, Quran 2, uh, 2.30. And David, who composes this, uh, the Psalms as praise to God, for example, in Psalms 34.1-2, uh, is said to have received them from God in Quran uh, 4.163. Many other examples could be adduced as well. All of this is in addition to substantial historical mistakes contained within the text of the Quran, such as the idea that Jews have believed that Ezra was the son of God in Quran 9.30, or that the sun sets in a muddy pool of water in 18.86, and many others. When reading the Quran, it's important to realize that Islamic society, in its autocracy, ahistorical nature, endless conspiracy theories, and absence of personal agency are, is a direct re a result of the influence of the Quran. Islamic dogma. The Muslim confession of faith known as the Shahada, which every Muslim recites as part of his prayers five times daily, states, quote, there is no God but Allah and Muhammad is his messenger, end quote. This confession of faith stands in direct contradiction to, uh, to John uh, 14, 6, where Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The Shahada presupposes that the Gospels are incomplete and cannot be completed until the appearance of Muhammad. It is impossible for a Christian to believe in the pro prophecy of Muhammad and remain a Christian. For one thing, the type of messenger that is promoted by belief in Muhammad, again, with, uh, as with the type of God that is promoted in the text of the Quran, is fundamentally different from that of the Bible. Muhammad's early career does indeed have some parallels with the manner in which a biblical prophet or exhorter should act. But his later career is mostly characterized by jihad and violence. Again, it is possible to draw some comparisons between the, uh, the career of Muhammad and, let's say, Joshua, for example. But the type of conquering, dominating biblical figure that is clearly superseded by the message of Jesus, who preached love and compassion. This function of the aggressive uh, spread of Islam inherent in the first conquests in, uh, between 634 and 730, and then later through the Ottoman period and with accompanying jihads in Africa and India, is exemplified by the following tradition ascribed to Muhammad. He says, quote, I was sent with a sword so that they would worship Allah alone, who has no partner. 
and my daily sustenance was placed between, beneath the shadow of my spear, and humiliation and contempt were placed upon those who oppose me. And then there's a the last phrase, which is quite useful in dealing with, the, uh, with the, uh, the insider movement, and whoever likens himself to a group becomes one of them. This is an important methodological statement that affirms the importance and power domination play within the spread of Islam even if in cases this was not accompanied by actual military violence. Although one should note that from the earliest book of jihad that we have, that of uh, Abdullah bin al-Mubarak, who died in, in 797, uh, the key phrase right there is that the sword wipes away sins. A very important difference between Islam and Christianity. The final phrase in the, uh, in the previous uh, tradition, that whoever becomes alike to another group becomes one of them, mantashaba bekaumen fahua minhum, should be carefully considered by the insider movement as such a likening is precisely what they mean to accomplish. One should also consider the fact that a high percentage of uh, contemporary Muslims are in fact descended from people or groups who were historically Christian and were persecuted to the point of conversion. The figure of Muhammad is normative for all Muslims, whether Sunni or Shi'i. From the creedal statement of a Tahawi, who states, quote, we assert that Muhammad is his chosen servant, his selected prophet, his approved messenger, the seal of the prophets, the imam of the pious, the beloved of the Lord of worlds. He is the one who is sent to the generality of jinn and the entirety of humankind the one who's sent with, human, uh, with truth and guidance, with light and radiance, end quote. Since it is a major doctrine in Islam to believe that Muhammad is the seal of the prophets, CF uh, Quran uh, 3330, it is impossible to avoid the emphasis placed upon the figure of Muhammad within Islam, which is affirmed by the statement inside al-Bukhari, which reads, quote, I was given five qualities not given to anyone previous to me. I was aided by a terror at the distance of a month's journey. The earth was made for me a worshiping ground in its purity. Spoils were permitted to me that were not permitted to anyone previous to me. I was given intercession, and while no other prophets were sent to their people's specific, uh, I'm sorry, while other prophets were spent, sent to their people's specifically, I was sent to all people generally, end quote. There is no room within this statement, and many others like it, for the gospel of Jesus, and specifically it stands in opposition to the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 16 through 20. As the insider movement would hypothetically mas be masquerading within Muslim cultures as Muslims, it is reasonable to ask them, how do you intend to deal with the figure of Muhammad? The values that are promoted by the constant adulation of Muhammad in Muslim culture are fundamentally different from those promoted inside the Gospels. And yet you believe that somehow you can be insulated from these Islamic values and still instead come to gradually, gradually change the discourse into one that is Christian in content, if not in form. Does it not seem much more likely that instead you yourselves will be transformed by the constant pressure and need to conform from the Islamic society all around you? While one can legitimately say that Islam, especially in its Sunni form, is not a creedally-based religion, and that many, uh, many Muslims remain uh, ignorant of the fundamentals of their faith, it is equally true that these fundamentals are taught through example. Again, closely in accord with Sunnism, which is the way of the prophet, 
based upon uh, the idea that the prophet is the perfect example located in, in Quran 33.4, where he's said to be the Uswa al-Hasana. And by adducing the manner in which uh, Muhammad acted in a given situation or by a citation of a, of a tradition associated with him. These teachings are the methods by which Islam in the broadest sense is propagated. Islam does not re rely for conversion merely upon flashy mass people movements, but subtle, slow social transformations where both the person and the broader society are effectively Muslim almost before their actual conversion in many cases and continuing on afterwards. And here just for, uh, for an example, I'll, I'll uh, throw out the, uh, the fast-a-thons that oftentimes the MSA will do in order to promote the idea that even non-Muslims should begin to fast and then gradually transform themselves into, uh, into Muslims uh, in fact. Traditionally, Islam's relation with Christianity has been characterized by supersessionism over Christianity especially, and a sense of triumphalism that is best expressed by the Quranic verse 933, quote, it is he who sent his apostle with the guidance and true religion in order to make it triumph over every religion, even if the polytheists should resent it, end quote. It should be remembered that Muslims on a regular basis define Christians because of the doctrine of the Trinity as polytheists and associate with Christians and Christianity the Quranic language originally addressed to the polytheists of the Arabian Peninsula. These facts have led to the establishment of a system of discrimination designed to demonstrate from an outward perspective that Islam is triumphant and dominant within the society in which it is located, and that non-believers, which historically has primarily meant Jews and Christians, but additionally Hindus, and today Baha'is and Ahmadis, must be tolerated but humiliated. For this purpose, uh, Quran 929, fight those among the, uh, the people of the book who do not believe in Allah in the last day, do not forbid what Allah and his apostle have forbidden, until they pay the poll tax out of hand and submissively is significant. While the traditional payment of the poll tax or the jizya has lapsed in all but radical Muslim countries, Christians are still subject to second-class status in the Muslim world. The apostasy laws are still in effect, if not, only, uh, if not always actually on the books as they are in Iran, Libya, and Algeria and other countries, then they are practiced on a popular level with the authorities turning their backs as they are in Pakistan, Afghanistan, and Nigeria. Even more than this, even uh, Christians who are recognized by the state as legitimate, which includes the Copts of Egypt and other Christians of uh, the Middle East, have found that de facto the discriminatory laws concerning apostasy and the building of new churches are still very much in effect. Again, this is a triumphalistic issue. Muslims can build new mosques because according to Islamic doctrine, Islam is the future, but Christians must suffice with decrepit old buildings because Christianity is the past. It is important on a systematic level for Christians and Christianity to be humiliated and insulted while Islam is exalted and magnified. It is easy to see the danger that this presents for a, uh, for a missionary group such as the insider movement. Forced at every turn to conceal what they truly believe, all around them, the society will be beckoning their converts on to return to normative Islam. While it is important for the Christian believer not to be seduced by the temptations of this world when he himself is living a lie, as the insider movement promotes, it is difficult to know how and where one would draw the boundaries between lying to save one's skin and merely lying for the sake of lying.
Today, Muslims claim that they, have, that they have freedom of religion. And indeed, the common word document proclaims this. But the, the verse that they cite in evidence for this, Quran 2, uh, 2.56, quote, there's no compulsion in religion, true guidance has become distinct from error, thus he do, who disbelieves in the devil and believes in Allah grasps the firmest handle that will never break, which is usually referred to by the phrase, there is no compulsion in religion, end quote, does not actually promise true freedom of religion. Islam demands from non-believers on a practical level conformity with its norms while simultaneously not allowing for such conformity when it is in the minority, as in Europe, nor reciprocating any of the benefits conferred upon it by non-Muslims on a regular basis. For example, just recently two Algerian Christians were put on trial for eating, even discreetly, during the Muslim fasting month of Ramadan. It is this type of situation that raises questions about whether there can ever be any meaningful religious freedom in a Muslim society that would uh, be significant for non-Muslims, or whether it is a good idea for Christians to participate willingly in such a repressive and dominating religion while gaining converts. So in short, the answer to the question of whether Christians can be Muslims is yes, they can be Muslims. They can just be Muslims. From, a, from both a theological point of view and from a historical point of view, it is clear that Christians who sought to blur the lines between Christianity and Islam have only gone in one direction, to become actual Muslims. Perhaps that is because the, the complete domination on the part of Islam of its own societies that Christians who have taken this route have been lured time and time again into the fallacy that they can extricate themselves or coexist with the compromises that they would have to make in order to live as Muslims. In actuality, they cannot. It is, of course, historically true that Christians during the first centuries of Islam, like Jews, were able at certain times to recite the first part of the Shahada. There is no God but Allah, as a confession of monotheistic belief. However, it is worth noting that these people and or their descendants all eventually became Muslims. Because Islam is not merely a religion, but an entire civilization that controls the social and cultural patterns of the people within it, eventually it will come to dominate all those who remain under its domination. Muslims historically have taken a much longer view of the ultimate conversion than have Christians, realizing that over the period of centuries, people gradually, gradually enter Islam. Because of the laws against apostasy and the no uh, social norms that Islam dictates, those who are at first reluctant converts will eventually, either personally or through their descendants, become true Muslims. As it is not possible for even marginal Muslims who might otherwise be converted to Christianity to leave Islam, eventually the latter come to dominate a given area. All of this happens because Christians on a systematic basis refuse to see the dangers inherent in Islam and refuse to see it as an attractive spiritual alternative. It's clear to me that the insider movement is playing into this historical pattern of slow conversion to Islam, <clears throat> and by allowing its mis missionaries to masquerade as Muslims, for its new Christians to continue to pose as Muslims while believing in Jesus, this movement will merely facilitate the growth of global Islam. Subscription to the common word document is merely the first step in this process. The insider movement makes such theological penetration by Islam of Christianity into a formal reality a, by subverting its missionaries into a false and dangerously ecumenical paradigm. 
Study of Islam from a scholarly point of view as well from a Christian point of view leads one to see Islam as a strong contender for humanity's spiritual attention, which has the capacity to subvert even, the committed, uh, even committed Christians to its core tenets. Islam cannot exist as a belief, a belief system in tandem with Christianity if either faith is taken seriously. Usually the default position, if there is some kind of ecumenism, is that of Islam and not of Christianity. The Bible and the Quran are two fundamentally different documents, and many of their core teachings cannot be re reconciled, in spite of the fact that both Christianity and Islam are monotheisms and hark back to the biblical tradition for their prophetic history. The personality of Muhammad is central to Islam in all of its variants and cannot be reconciled with core Christian teachings. It is therefore my conclusion that it is extremely dangerous and unwise for groups of Christians to pretend to be Muslims in order to gain converts to Christianity as well as being dishonest to both faiths. Thank you.